Black Books Part 3. For Part 1, click here. That's the playlist. Then you can watch Part 2 and then Part 3. Welcome to Jump In in the Middle. It's a free platform, I suppose, right? Okay. Picking up right where we left off. After this, he had a similar issue. In the winter, I once stood at the window deep in the night and looked north. There I saw a blood-red glow stretched from east to west over the northern horizon like a flicker of the sea seen from far. And someone asked me at that time what I thought about the future of the world. I told him that I <clears throat> hadn't thought, but I saw blood, streams of blood. In the years directly preceding the outbreak of war, apocalyptic, apocalyptic imagery was widespread in European arts and literature. For example, in 1912, the Russian painter Wassily Kandinsky wrote of a coming universal catastrophe. From 1912 to 1914, Ludwig Miedner painted a series of works known as the Apocalyptic Landscapes, with scenes of destroyed cities, corpses, and turmoil. <clears throat> Prophecy was in the air. In 1899, the famous American medium, Leonora Piper, predicted that in the coming century there would be a terrible war in different parts of the world that would cleanse the world and reveal the truths of spiritualism. All right. um, in 1918, Arthur Conan Doyle, hey, there's a name I recognize, the spiritualist and author of the Sherlock Holmes stories, spiritualist, really? Wow. Viewed this as having been prophetic. Well, that's going to change my uh, how I view Sherlock Holmes forever. In Jung's account of the fantasy on the train in Liber Novus, I get the feeling it's assumed that anybody reading these has already read the Red Book, so I'm doing it backwards, reading the prequel first, like, re like watching uh, the, uh, you know, never mind. Episodes 1 through 3 of Star Wars before New Hope. Sorry. Okay, anyway, uh, the inner voice said that what the fantasy depicted would become completely real. It seems probable that what took place was a hypnagogic vision. That is, he entered into a stream of imagery in a, straight of, in a state of drowsiness while reading a book. Initially, he interpreted this subjectively and prospectively as depicting the imminent destruction of his world. His reaction to the experience was to undertake a psychological investigation of himself. In this epoch, self-experimentation was used in medicine and psychology. 
Introspection had been one of the main tools of psychological research. Jung came to realize that transformations and symbols of the libido, uh, I think that's a quote, could be taken as myself that, and that an analysis of it leads inevitably into an analysis of my own unconscious processes, end quote. He had projected his material onto the fantasies of an American woman he had never met, Miss Frank Miller. Up to this point, Jung had been an active thinker and had been averse to fantasy. Quote, as a form of thinking, I held it to be altogether impure, a sort of incestuous intercourse, thoroughly immoral from an intellectual viewpoint. End quote. He now turns to analyze his fantasies, carefully noting everything, and had to overcome considerable resistance in doing this. Quote, permitting fantasy in myself had the same effect as would be produced on a man if he came into his workshop and found all the tools flying about doing things independently of his will. End quote. <clears throat> in studying his fantasies, Jung realized that he was studying the myth-creating function of the mind. I realized that until 1900, I had kept a diary, and I thought that this would be a possibility for me, yes, okay, to try to observe myself. This would be an attempt to meditate on myself, and I began to describe my inner states. These represented themselves to me in a literary metaphor. For example, I was in a desert, and the sun shone unbearably. Parentheses, sun, hyphen, consciousness, and parentheses, end quote. His first move was to attempt to find imaginic, imaginistic correlates, correlates, imaginistic correlates, you know, those, to his uh, emotional states. He picked up his brown notebook, which he had set aside in 1902, and began writing in it. He recalled that in his childhood, he used to like to build houses and structures, and he took this up again to reconnect with that time. He built a church with a red pyramidal stone as the altar, gathering stones from the lake shore at the bottom of his garden. This reminded him of his childhood dream of the underground phallus. Okay. He would usually do this after lunch. That's when you do underground phallus type things, right? After lunch. <clears throat> Sorry. And uh, also sometimes in the evening. Yeah, of course. It clarified his thoughts and led him to notice fantasies, which he then recorded in the black books. He had the feeling that he was practicing a rite as in mythology. Regarding his writing, he recalled in 1923, quote, for the sake then of trying to achieve the maximum honesty with myself, I wrote everything down carefully, following the old Greek mandate, quote within quotes, give away all thou possessest, 
then thou shalt receive, end quote, end quotes, end quote. This was from the Mithraic liturgy. <clears throat> it, occurred, <clears throat> it occurred to Jung that he could write down his reflections in a sequence. He was, quote, writing autobiographical material, but not as an autobiography, end quote. From the time of the Platonic dialogues onward, the dialectical form has been a major genre in Western philosophy. That's a genre, and that was a coconut falling on somebody's roof. Um, <clears throat> in 387 Common Era, St. Augustine wrote his Soliloquies, which presented an extended dialogue between himself and, quote, reason, end quote, who instructs him. The work begins with the following lines. When I had been pondering many different things to myself for a long time, and had for many days been seeking my own self and what my own good was, and what evil was to be avoided, there suddenly spoke to me, what was it? I myself or someone else, inside or outside me? Parentheses, this is the very thing I would love to know, but don't. End parentheses, end quotes. While writing book two, he posed a question. <clears throat> I said to myself, quote, what is this I am doing? It certainly is not science. What is it? End quote. Then a voice said to me, quote, that is art. End quote. This made the strangest sort of impression upon me because it was not in any sense my impression that what I was writing was art. Then I came to this, quote, perhaps my unconscious is forming a personality that is not I, but which is insisting on coming through to expression, end parentheses. Um, so the work begins, reason instructed St. Augustine, which presented the dialogue that they instructs him. So that first quote was St. Augustine, and then while writing book two, he posed a question, is he St. Augustine or uh, Jung? I'm asking because I don't know, because it's not clear. Um, right. Okay. Yes. I can't imagine St. Augustine being, you know, like, is this reason or is it art? What is art? You know, like, but maybe I just don't know St. Augustine well enough. I know him as the guy who told the king of Kent to write down, if you steal from the church, you have to pay it back twelvefold in Latin letters with, uh, Anglo-Saxon vernacular and thus, um, creating the English language, not as a guy who's, is this science or is this art? This must be you. I don't know why exactly, but, um, did I read? Okay. Then I came to this. Perhaps my unconscious is forming a personality that is not I. This has got to be you. It was a little unclear how that was written. Um, saying, oh, and Augustine said this, and then in book two he wrote this. You mean Jung or St. Augustine? Come on. The work begins. Okay. Um, yes. <clears throat> but which is insisting on coming through to expression. End quote. I don't know why exactly, but I knew 
to a certainty that the voice that had said my writing was art had come from a woman. Uh, dot, 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 dot. It's always good to have four dots just to keep people guessing. Well, I said very emphatically to this voice that was that what I was doing was not art, and I felt a great resistance grow up within me. No voice came through, however, and I kept on writing. This time I caught her and said, quote, no, it is not, end quote, and I felt as though an argument would ensue. He thought that this voice was, quote, the soul in the, pri in the primitive sense, end quote, which he called the anima, parentheses, the Latin word for soul, end parentheses, quote, in putting down all this material for analysis, I was in effect writing letters to my anima. That is part of myself with a that is part of myself with a different viewpoint from my own. I got remarks of a new character. I was in analysis with a ghost and a woman. End quote. In retrospect, he recalled that this was the voice of a Dutch patient he had known from 1912 to 1918 who had persuaded a psychiatrist colleague that the latter was a misunderstood artist. The woman had thought that the unconscious was art, but Jung had maintained that it was nature. Okay. I have previously argued that the woman in question was Maria Moltzer, and that the psychiatrist in question was Jung's friend and colleague Franz Ricklin who increasingly forsook analysis for painting. In 1913, he became a student of Augusto Giacometti, the uncle of Alberto Giacometti, and an important early abstract painter in his own rights. The first sequence, from November to December 1913, could be characterized as the search for a method. It depicts Jung turning upward, excuse me, turning toward his soul and undertaking a reconsideration of his life, a transvaluation of values. Up to this point, he had been successful and had achieved all that he had sought. Then came the vision on the way to Schaffhausen, which provoked him to return to his soul. He considered himself an anchorite in his own desert, trying to find visual metaphors to contain and express his experience. He experienced doubt and confusion. There was no movement until December 11th, so he had been addressing his soul for a month with, uh, before receiving a reply. A dialogue now developed. His soul told him that he was not his mother. He should be patient. The way to truth was to those without intentions, and the way to truth was to those without intentions. All right. He <clears throat> needed to realize that intentions limit life. Hmm. He addressed his feeling of self-scorn, and his soul told him that this was out of the question. Scorn was only an issue if he was completely vain. She asked if he knew who she was. 
had he made her into a dead formula. On December 12th, as he recounted in his 1925 seminar. Not knowing what would come next, I thought more introspection was needed. When we introspect, we look within and see if there is anything to be observed. And if there is nothing, we may either give up or the introspective process, give up the introspective process or find a way of, quote, boring through, end quote, to the material that escapes the first survey. I devised such a boring method by fantasizing that I was digging a hole and by accepting this fantasy as perfectly real. Jung had, <clears throat> Jung had probably actually started by <clears throat> physically digging holes in his garden down by the water to release his fantasies. He then began to imagine doing the same while seated in his library. He descended into the depths and a fantasy sequence unfolded. His, quote, I, end quote, <clears throat> found himself in a dark cave. He saw a red stone, which he tried to reach through muddy water. The stone covered an opening in the rock. He placed his ear to the opening and heard a stream and saw a person who had been killed float past, as well as a black scarab. A red sun shone at the bottom of the stream, and there were serpents on the wall, <clears throat> which crawled toward the sun and eventually covered it. Blood sprang forth and then subsided. This was a striking, horrific image. During what unfolded, he was involved passively as a spectator. This process shifted on December 21st. He encountered the figures of Elijah, the blind Salome, and a serpent. Jung's eye looked into, the, into a stone and saw in it Eve, followed by Odysseus on his journeys. Elijah told Jung's eye that Salome was his daughter and that they had been companions since eternity. Salome told Jung's I that she loved him. Elijah told him that Salome loved a prophet and announced the new god to the world. Jung's I was shocked at all this. He heard wild music. He wondered if Salome loved him because he had murdered the hero. He had further encounters with Elijah and Salome on December 22nd and 25th. These critical fantasies signaled a breakthrough from passive witnessing to active engagement. He had broken through a barrier. A method had been found and consolidated. Trusting to his soul's visions, his soul's vision, he entered into an exchange with the figures listened to them, and allowed himself to be instructed. This became his via regia to the imaginal world. The fantasies in the black books may be understood as a type of dramatized thinking in pictorial, pictorial form. As one reads them, the impact of Jung's mythological studies become clear. Some of the figures and conceptions 
derived directly from his readings. The form and the style of his fantasies bear witness to his fascination with the world of myth and epic. In these entries, Jung was both a participant in and scribe of his interior imaginal dramas, bearing witness to what he encountered. The first phase of his undertaking may be characterized as a religious quest, an effort to recover a sense of meaning in his life. In December 1913, he referred to, his, to this first black book as book of my most difficult experiments. In retrospect, he recalled, my scientific questions, the question went, what would happen if I switched off consciousness? I noticed from dreams that something stood in the background and I wanted to give this a fair chance to come forward. One submits to the necessary conditions as in a mescaline experiment so that it emerges. In a, latter, in a later entry in his dream book on April 17, 1917, he noted, quote, since then, frequent exercises in the emptying of consciousness, end quote. These statements indicate that his interest was in studying what emerged when one emptied consciousness and allowed whatever was in the background to emerge. His procedure was clearly intentional, while its aim was to allow psychic contents to spontaneously emerge. He recalled, quote, sometimes it was as if I heard with ears, Sometimes I felt it in the mouth as if my tongue formulated words. And then it came that I heard myself whisper a word to myself. Under the threshold of consciousness, everything was living. End quote. Jung had had extensive experience studying mediums in trance states, during which they were encouraged to produce waking fantasies and visual hallucinations, and he had conducted experiments with automatic writing. Practices of visualization had also been used in various religious traditions. For example, St. Ignatius of Loyola's fifth spiritual exercise instructs individuals to, quote, see with the eyes of the, imagina of the imagination the length, breadth, and depth of hell. End quote. And to experience this with full sensory immediacy. Emanuel Swedenborg, 1688 through 1772, engaged in spiritual writing. Uh, excuse me, uh, dog, would you mind, like, refraining from your barking right now? Because it just, it's a little bit annoying. While I'm trying to record, I'm sure it's like a little bit annoying while trying to listen to uh, reciting. So, if I pay you, if I promise to give you a bone later, an entry into his spiritual diary reads 26 January 1748. Spirits, if permitted, could possess those who speak with them so utterly 
that they would be as though they were already, in, excuse me, entirely in the world, and indeed in a matter so manifest that they could communicate their thoughts through their mediums, and even by letters, for they have sometimes, and indeed often, directed my hand when writing, as though it were their own, so that they thought it was not I but themselves writing. That's the end of the margin change and font shrinking that indicates that that was a Jung quote or St. Augustine one time. Anyway, so we're back to Sonu. From 1909 onward in Vienna, the psychoanalyst Herbert Silberer conducted experiments on himself in hypnagogic states. Silberer attempted to allow images to appear. These images, he maintained, presented symbolic depictions of his immediately preceding thought. Silberer corresponded with Jung and sent him off prints of his articles. In 1912, Ludwig Staudenmayer, 1886-1933, a professor of experimental chemistry, uh, published a work entitled Magic as an Experimental Science. Staudenmayer had embarked on self-experimentations in 1901, commencing with automatic writing. A series of characters appeared and he found that he no longer needed to write to conduct dialogues with them. He also induced acoustic and visual hallucinations. The aim of his enterprise was to use his self-experimentation to provide a scientific explanation of magic. He argued that the key to understanding magic lay in the concepts of hallucination and the, quote, underconsciousness and quote, parentheses, Unterbewusstein, right, and parentheses, and, or whatever that, that's not an F, that's like one of those B, it's like a capital B, but it's more like a snake, I don't know what that is, and he placed particular importance on the role of personification. Thus, we see that Jung's procedure closely resembled a number of historical and contemporary practices with which he was familiar. And that's the end of the section, so it seems to me a good place to stop. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. The idea of these beings or these creatures or whatever you want to call them in the unconscious or the subconscious or maybe the collective unconscious, if such a thing exists. I mean, I only mean that it takes a bit of a leap one can work with one, one's own subconscious and one's own uh, dream states and surmise that because humans share 
something nine, right? Uh, percent of the same DNA. We all carry the same instructions. I mean, from a purely rational scientific uh, perspective, we all carry the same instructions, which um, result in this complex human brain, which has what we might term a subconscious or an unconscious or a underconsciousness or, you know, dream consciousness or an emotional consciousness, which then, then the collective consciousness or unconscious could be seen as something that results from the social interactions of humans in groups so that it, like if everybody sees the same TV show, then everybody might dream about Spock and uh, yeah, it's because we all saw the same TV show or that or lived through the same war or experienced the same weather and then that leads one to think that well the collective consciousness over here might be different from the collective consciousness over there, right? Um, but if one takes a leap and looks beyond the ephemeral brains and skulls, right? Uh, separated from each other by big, big pockets of air um, to, 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 you know, I mean, one could maybe abuse quantum theory and say that, you know, there's some kind of uh, uh, direct link going on between the uh, uh, subatomic particles and the neurons in my head and someone else's. At a certain point, at a certain point, it seems to me that it uh, ceases to be useful to use pure reason. I mean, in that, in the sense of pure ephemeral, um, which was interesting because he was talking about, well, from an intellectual position, purely intellectual, it's immoral to fantasize. And it's like, oh, I don't think you understand what intellect means. I mean, far be it for me to presume to um, have an insight greater than that of Carl Jung when he was in his 30s, but, um, well, anyway, I, that's, that goes off into a different philosophical uh, uh, train of thought. But anyway, yeah, the idea that these things are alive, that these creatures are alive, I mean, any, of course they are, you know, uh, just as alive as we are. If someone has, has um, what do they call multiple personality disorder these days? There's a new name for that, isn't there? Uh, this is 2023, by the way, for the people in the future. I'm sure you've had four or five different renamings of everything since, since then, you know, right? Anyway, um, yeah, so which personality is alive and which one? They're both alive. It's, it's happening inside of a, a live person, so it's alive. Um, so this woman that he's interacting with in his, in, inside of him is it's alive inside of him. That's very interesting. Um, it reminds me a little bit of this one time I was doing a, uh, a lot of this is reminding me of Pathworking the Moon card for people familiar with Golden Dawn uh, System of Magic. And uh, one particular time I decided rather than going toward the dogs, speaking of dogs, we got a blonde dog that's mean and a, a black dog that just follows the blonde one around. Um, here it's the landlord's dogs. So there's a little bit of a moon card pathworking thing happening at this period in our our present day history, um, my wife and I. But anyway, um, 
Rather than follow the dogs down the yellow brick road to the pillars, I decided to turn around and go into the ocean because I thought that there were some inner demons I needed to confront. So there I was, and I was going deeper and deeper into the ocean, and then I was submerged in the ocean, and I was seeing sea creatures. And I was like, okay, where are the inner demons? Where are these inner demons? And then there was just a bunch of sea creatures, and I could see more and more of them, and some of them had sharp teeth and stuff, and so I was like, okay. And, you know, and I did some kind of like, like sending out an earth banishing pentagram or a, or a banner of the West or something, and all of them fled except for one little crawdad crab thing was on the ground in front of me, like, kind of scared. So I threw a, a Banner of the West at it, I think, and its, its shell flew off, and then it was this naked little crab still shaking and looking at me. But I was thinking, you know, the, the, this powerful exorcism symbol didn't make it go away, so it must be good, right? So I said, what is your name? And he said, I do. And I said, what is your purpose, Baggett? What do you do? And he said, I don't know. And then he ran away. And so right after that is when I started working in for those familiar, um, the character of Baggett as Blythe's little brother in the interdimensional, I mean, in the, uh, the New World Empire story. Uh, so that's, and now you know Baggett's origin story. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a similar kind of self-experimental work. Then, then I invoked the goddess Isis, uh, you know, by that name or by whatever name, the, the, the high goddess, the mother goddess. And she came and said, what are you doing here? And I said, uh, I said, I'm, I'm here to confront and overcome my inner demons. And she says, uh, the, the path is that way. <laughs> you, um, you overcome the darkness by keeping your eyes fixed on the light. You know, I don't know. That was, that was the message I got at the time, not saying that you should write that down and accept it as dogma because it happened to me in a dream state once, but that, that, that was that. So, all right, before this one uh, runs on too long, got some stuff scheduled today. I've got to make some, some uh, send some text messages and whatnot. So thank you for joining me and... Uh, We'll pick up right where we left off next time with, can you see that? All right, I'll just go with Carl Jung's The Black Books. Bye. <laughs>